this paean of praise from Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the children of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he put our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows that we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. It flourishes like a flower in the field, and then the wind blows over it, and it is gone, and a place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all you heavenly hosts, you servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. It was in uh, 2007 that I was on a team, and, and the, the team was um, a freefall team, a military freefall team, where you jump out of out of planes, and and we were we were doing a jump um, training out in the California desert, and we had this particular jump where it was 25,000 feet. Um, you had to uh, breathe in oxygen tanks before you would go and jump out and you would deploy your chute at 17,000 feet. And the idea was to coast in um, about 40 kilometers and it was to train so that you could uh, infiltrate enemy lines in a combat situation. And so I was doing this with this team and it was my birthday. So I was like super jazzed, I'm like very happy. Um, so I jumped out of the plane and I deploy my chute at 17,000 feet. And my chute only opens part way. And so I look, and I'm looking up and I see that half my chute, so no big deal. So I start to do some emergency procedures. Um, nothing's happening, I'm falling pretty quick. So I decide to do, um, to release these latches that change the angle of the chute, thinking that would help. But instead, when I release the latches, it put me into a fatal spin. And so I only had one thing I could do, which was what we call cutting away the chute. You, you release the chute and then you hope that your reserve opens up. So I cut away the chute, um, I fell for a, a few thousand feet, and then my, my reserve opened up, and I coasted in about a half hour later. And everyone said, are you all right? I was like, oh yeah, I'm fine. 
But that night at my hotel, I came face to face with my mortality. It, it totally freaks me out. And we all must come face to face with our human condition, our mortality, so that we can understand God's response to that condition. The title of tonight's message is Everlasting to Everlasting. And tonight, what I want to do is I want us to do some really deep introspection and get real with our human condition and, and wrestle with the fact that tomorrow is not guaranteed. So let me open us up in prayer. Oh, Father, we come to you tonight on this Ash Wednesday with a heart that is open, ready to learn from you. I pray that your spirit would fill us and teach us the things that we do not know. Illuminate your word to us at this time. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing that I want to look at is that apart from Christ, we are steeped in everlasting depravity. Psalm 103, verse 10 says, He does not treat us as sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Let me ask you this. How would you answer this question? Are you a good person? Most of us say, yeah, I'm pretty good. How would God answer that question for you? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3 says, As for you, you are dead in your tra transgressions. You are dead as a bag of bones without Christ, spiritually speaking. You are by nature deserving of wrath. You see, we are sinners by nature. We've inherited that nature. But we're also sinners by choice. And the perfect example that I could give you of this are toddlers. Toddlers. You don't have to teach them to be bad. When my son Brian was a little, little toddler, this is where it all came to me. He would pull his big sister's hair as hard as he could. No one taught him that. He just pulled it. And then I remember saying, Brian, you can't do that. He couldn't even speak at the time. And I would say, you can't do that. And I'd set him aside, and then he would do it again. You can't do that, Brian. And then I saw this. This is where it all comes together, right? After I said, stop, he, he looked at me, thinking I wasn't looking, inched his way over to his sister, looked at me again, smiled, and pulled her hair. And as one, one pastor has, has put it, we think we have bundles of joys, but instead we have vipers and diapers. <laughs> and that's the truth. We are sinful by nature and by choice. And I think we believe this lie that we are somehow the measure. Man is the measure of all things. And we have bought into this lie what one author calls moral therapeutic deism that God really doesn't care too much about what we do. He's just kind of our assistant and he kind of helps us out. Yet God makes it clear in his word that he is the measure of all things because he is holy and he is just and he is perfect. Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. We have to understand that all sin is first and foremost against God. And it deserves judgment. God is a just God. And we deserve his wrath in our nature and by our choice. Psalm 51.4 says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. And when we take our eyes off of God and his holiness, we start to make excuses. 
We start to make excuses for what the things that we do. We start to make comparisons. You know, I, I might have did that, but did you check out what that person has done? Compared to them, I'm pretty darn good. Or we blame shift. You know, I wouldn't have done that if they wouldn't have done that to me. And one day we're all going to stand in front of God and have to give an account of the things that we've done. And the excuse of, well, they made me do it, isn't going to cut it. Then there's another option. We try to offset our, our bad things with our good things. We say, you know what, I'm just going to do a bunch of good deeds. That's my way. That's my way of atoning. Yet Jesus, in the Gospels, makes sin an orientation of the heart. He says, if you even are angry at somebody, you've committed murder in your heart. If you even look at someone with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. He makes it a matter of the heart, and he rejects the whitewashed tomb hearts of the Pharisees. And he makes it clear that our deeds, apart, apart from him, are just are, they're dirty rags. Isaiah makes that clear. Psalm 51, 16 and 17 says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it, and we have. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. God won't despise that. We have a problem, a big problem. And this depravity has resulted in everlasting frailty. Psalm 103, 14 through 16 says, For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the fields. The wind blows over it, and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. Sin has affected everything. It has affected our minds. We have this frailty of mind. And we think, well, here's the problem. The problem with our world is that people just don't know. That's what it is. So we're going to go ahead, and education is the, is, is the answer to that. But we've educated ourselves to imbecility. Romans 8, 6 says, The mind governed by flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. There's a frailty of heart. I don't know how many times I've given this advice, or I've received this advice. Just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. But God says, the heart is a deceitful thing above all and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We understand we're in, a, in the predicaments we find ourselves in because we follow our heart. But that heart has been affected by our sin. And then there's a frailty of body. Genesis 3.19. By the sweat of your, your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you are taken from dust, you are and dust you will return. Here's the thing. I just read this new study. The results are in. One out of one dies. I didn't know if you knew that. But let's face it. Speaking about death and mortality is uncomfortable and it's taboo. And... But it's a certainty we all have to confront. And if we are in Christ, it's something we can confront with joy. So how do you confront this? How do you confront your mortality, your, your human condition, your sin? Do we just ignore it? We act like it doesn't exist. We don't want to talk about it. It's too real. So how does God respond to this situation? We know what he, how he should respond to the situation. He should respond to it with wrath, and he'd be justified in that. But how does he respond to the situation? Well, Psalm 103, 17 says, But from everlasting to everlasting, 
The Lord's love is with those who fear him. Verse 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How does God respond? He responds with everlasting love in Christ. Today's Valentine's Day. And I remember one of my first Valentine's Day. Shelly Robinson broke my heart. I've forgiven her. I've forgiven her. I was 10 years old, and I used to ride my bike by Shelly Robinson's house every day to see if maybe she would just come outside. And I decided I was going to go ahead and get her some flowers, but I was 10 years old. I don't have any money. In California, it's a perpetual spring in, the, um, in February. I know you're wondering why I'm here. We can talk about that later. But so I decided I'm going to go grab her some, some dandelions. They're growing. So I grab a whole bunch of dandelions. And it was the day before, before uh, Valentine's Day. So I put them in the, some water. And so um, I, I, I'm told that Shelly's outside. It's, it's, it's Valentine's Day. She's outside. So I go to grab my dandelions. And they're all dead. And they're all like crumbly and crusty and they're dead. And my little heart was crushed because I didn't have anything to bring to her. And then I had one of those snotty friends who's like, who would want to weed anyways? I said, you're 10 years old. How do you even know that? I think about that now. But anyways, <laughs> I go and I say, and I remember just being crushed. I remember being mad at my friend to the point of like, stop. But then I was crushed. I was sad. Who would want those weeds? Who would want those weeds? Jesus wants those weeds. Jesus wants the weeds. He looks at the weeds and he says, they're beautiful. I'm going to pour my everlasting love on them through grace. God's response is grace. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that his love is poured on us and in us and all through us. And we are redeemed. That's the power of the gospel. That we have a sin problem, a big problem. We are sinful by nature, by choice. And we're separated from God and we deserve God's wrath. Yet God doesn't leave us there. He sends his only son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect and righteous and just life and was nailed to a cross. And if he was there and if he stayed there, it would be tragic, but he wasn't. He died, but he was resurrected three days later. And we put our faith and trust in him. We too are resurrected. We are redeemed. In Christ, you are the weeds that everyone thinks are worthless, but what God calls his handiwork. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork. That word in the Greek is poema. We get the word poem from that. We are God's poem. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now maybe you're saying that you're sitting here and you're like, I, I really dig the grace part, Brian. That's good. I like the everlasting love, the grace. That's awesome. But you can leave that sin and frailty stuff alone. I, I don't want that. But here's the thing. You can't have the grace and love without the sin and frailty. When we compare the bitterness of our sin 
and our frailty and the wrath we deserve to the grace that God pours out on us in Christ, it drives us to a place, a place where we have to respond. So what's our response? Everlasting praise. That's the only appropriate response. Everlasting praise. Psalm 103.1 says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and all my inmost being. Praise the Lord, his holy name. Whose name do we praise? It's Jesus' name we praise. Psalm 103.2, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. In Christ, we have eternal life. We are new creations. We're adopted children. We're co-heirs of Christ. We're beloved children of an everlasting Father, and we overcome sin and death. Psalm 103.20, praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. We're called to obey him by following his word, his precepts that are contained in his scriptures. Verse 21, praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. The cry of our heart is, your will be done, not our will be done. That's how we praise him. Finally, verse 22, praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. We praise him by enjoying what he has created. That includes other people, everything that he's created, everything. We steward it well. So where does this leave us on this Ash Wednesday? You might be saying, I thought I was supposed to leave here depressed. No. We don't leave here depressed. We leave here very serious and introspective of what we've been saved and, and, and the, the sin, the remnant of the sin that we deal with. But there's hope, and we have hope, and that hope is in Christ. We are sinners saved by grace, made into the image of, the image of Christ, and we're works in progress. And there's some things we have to deal with, right? We don't have it all figured out. So in a moment, we're going to enter into a time of communion. And this is a very sacred and solemn time. And I want you to spend some time just pouring your heart out to God. Here's the thing. We all have these things that we harbor. Just cast them at the foot of the cross. Jesus is big enough to take those things. Cry out to him. Spend some time humbly praising our everlasting God for his everlasting love and our everlasting Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.